we've been doing synchronous work for hundreds of years and we've become really good at it and really conditioned by it uh, but we have an opportunity to do something different now work in a different way that can perhaps improve our well-being and our productivity be more inclusive and create more diverse organizations that are collectively more intelligent and may be able to solve problems better than organizations of the past with their traditional hierarchies. Hello and welcome to Zebra Talk. My name is Matt Mayer and I'm your host. And today I'm in conversation with the eternal rays of sunshine that are Alex Hurst and Lizzie Penny, friends of the Zebra Project and delighted to welcome them back to Zebra Talk. Alex and Lizzie are founders and leaders of the international creative industry business, Hoxby, and have had a fantastic journey building a business around a strong organizational purpose and the philosophy that work style is more important for productivity than anything else in current organizational psychology. Today, we talk about some really interesting questions. Is flexible working missing the point? What are the keys to productivity in the modern working world? How do progressive organizations achieve culture at scale? And how can organizational purpose be the thread that strings together the rapid growth of a new business that they themselves describe as an enormous experiment? Today, we'll draw on the experience of Alex and Lizzie in building Hoxby, but also some of the great insights set out in their forthcoming book, Workstyle. Alex, Lizzie, welcome to Zebra Talk. Alex, Lizzie, wonderful to see you both again, and welcome back to Zebra Talk. You have been long-term friends of the Zebra Project and supporters of Zebra Talk, so really good to see you again. I can't believe how long it's been. I think so much has happened since we last spoke, and, and perhaps that can feed in some of our conversation today, not least a global pandemic and a book from you two great authors. So I'm keen to talk about both of those both of those things. So welcome back. Thank you for having us. Thanks for having us. Uh, Matt, I'm not sure uh, we would class ourselves as authors, uh, but we have written a book and we're looking forward to talking about well, that. I've decided that authoring is a process rather than a publishing outcome. So I think if you've, if you've been through the process of Quite writing right. a book, and, yeah. um, and perhaps we can talk a bit about that too, uh, definitely authors in, 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 uh, in my book. So look, Hoxby is your business. It's a fascinating business, and I suspect it's a business that has never had its moment more than in recent times. So I'm really keen to talk about Hoxby as a, as a business and, and some of the philosophy behind that, as well as what you guys have been up to personally over the last couple of years. So I guess the starting point is is perhaps just to give us a flavour of what Hoxby is uh, and what you're doing with the business. I'll start if that's okay, uh, Lizzie. I'll just start by saying that, um, you know, first and foremost, Hoxby is uh, a diverse community of around about 600 freelancers uh, all around the world. And uh, they are Firstly, some of the nicest people that you'll ever meet. Uh, they are people who want to work in their own way uh, and have taken steps to make that happen. So they have their own work style, as we call it, which means that they're free to choose when and where they work for themselves. So work style, definitely, definitely a concept we'll come back to. And I would add as well that... Um... Hoxby, in terms of structure, is a decentralised autonomous organisation, but we created it as such before that terminology existed. That's something post-pandemic that we've heard a lot of people talking about, and we think we might be one of the only organisations that have been operating that way for eight years, because it's something that what we've seen since the pandemic is certainly a change in attitudes towards the norms of 
when and where you work. And work style is an experimental approach. We set Hoxby up as a social enterprise and also a B Corp, but specifically to learn from working this way. But we also do work with big clients. You know, we work with Unilever, AIA, Merck, Amazon, some of the biggest businesses in the world. So we are working with our incredible team of freelancers to prove that this can work can be done differently and that it works for everyone. So I love I love that idea that it's an experiment. And and I think you know, that is a, a characteristic that I hope to see more of in 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 organisations of of the future. It's really important. I've always sensed that that Hoxby isn't isn't a religion. It's more of a philosophy and an experiment. And I think that that has allowed you to adapt and evolve. What I would yeah. say though is it was incredibly brave to have a, effectively a startup organisation that was intended to be global from day one. <laughs> and not only was decentralised, but also had a different model of employment or non-employment for for the people. So hats off to your your courage. Did you ever imagine it would look like it does today? I think it looks not dissimilar from how we thought it would look, actually. I don't know if you agree, Alex. Mm. Um, I I think it has become the organisation we set out to create. But I don't think we realised just how powerful it would be in terms of the impact it could have on individual lives. And also in terms of the output that we can uniquely get to that other organisations can't by bringing together diverse individuals and and creating a level of collective intelligence that you couldn't get otherwise so I think it is what we thought it would be but we've learned a lot along the way certainly I found it more inspiring and powerful as an organizational model than I thought possible you mentioned there about the the impact that it has on on people's lives or the potential it does I mean again you know having said it's not a not a religion it's clearly a business that's has a strong sense of of purpose and there were there were some key drivers for you in experimenting with with this model you know perhaps just give us a flavor for what those drivers were and what what drives you now eight years on and i think that's probably the thing that's kept it culturally true to its origins is for us we always wanted to create an environment where people felt included where there wasn't bias and where that freedom to choose when and where you work enabled you to be your authentic self and do your best work for us personally for me that was about initially trying to come up with a, a solution to why i reached burnout which was about presence and and feeling the need to be visible 60 hours a week and work style really was sort of the antidote to that in in my view but as Lizzie said, it's impacted lots of different people in different ways. But fundamentally, what's universally true is that it's enabled people to access work on their own terms. And that's what's been transformative for everybody who's been able to do it. We've always also had a clear purpose that we exist to create a happier, more fulfilled society through a world of work without bias. That was our purpose on day one. That's still our purpose now, eight years later. That's in the you know the opening pages of the book. Everything we do is in pursuit of that and I think if you asked any Hoxby why we're all here that's what they would say and you know we say that a lot um, but I, I think okay. it's really important to know what we are and to keep saying it over and over again so that we're all really clear on why we're here not just what we're doing. The new book is called Workstyle? It is. Yeah. Let's go back to basics and perhaps let's maybe just give it go a little bit deeper on what work style means, both as a, as a concept and in terms of what it means at a practical level and how you live and breathe that in, in Hoxburg. When Lizzie and I were talking many moons ago, what feels like a long time ago, about our respective issues with the traditional work system, what we came to discover and came to realise was what we wanted was 
the ability to be free to choose when and where we work for ourselves and therefore judged on our output and the outcomes of our work rather than our presence and the number of hours we were putting in. So output, not input. Uh, the challenge is that there's an assumption that work is done between Monday and Friday and nine to five, broadly speaking. And if you don't fit into that assumption, then you're different. You're atypical in some way. And what we wanted to do was create a new language for work that reversed that, that actually meant if you were choosing for yourself when and where you worked, then that's the assumption. And that's why we need a word work style to give everybody the language to say, well, my work style is I work when my children are at school. And sometimes that means I work in the evening when they're in bed, but I'm okay with that because I get to take them to, to school. I get to pick them up and spend time with them while they're awake. <laughs> so it, it's it's about individual preference, individual choice, but having a language to describe it that isn't loaded with prejudice in the same way as being part-time or, or, or working some sort of variation on the generally accepted full-time employment. And the, what the book does is it essentially summarises the case for work style and lays out why work style can create a revolution at work. And that encompasses why the time for change is now, why flexible working is our nemesis, we say, um, which is quite a surprise to some people, um, but also why or how work style can transform society in terms of inclusion, but also well-being and productivity for the individual. So it kind of lays out all of those things and provides both a robust case for illustrating why but also draws on personal stories that for us have been the thing that have kind of fueled us on this journey yeah and i think having having had the, the the joy of reading the book i mean what i loved about it it was it was very practical it was you know it's very grounded in experience and i think you know so many leaders and organizations who are trying to do things differently whether it's in the space of, of work style and arrangements or other areas just find it very difficult to operationalize the ideas and beliefs that they've got and uh, i think the book mm. is a fantastic insight into how to do that grounded in your own experience rather than in some sort of academic concept so it's, it's absolutely fantastic talk to me a little bit more about flexible working and why that's a, a nemesis the thing about flexible working is any progress is good progress but we also need to recognize the limitations of flexible working and the challenge with it is that Many organisations feel that having a flexible working policy or having some people working flexibly ticks that box, that they're doing something and that that ultimately means they're an inclusive organisation. And in the book, we talk about seven excluded groups. There are many, many groups who are discriminated within society, but there are seven groups who are structurally excluded from work when we work nine to five five days a week. Some of those groups or most of those groups are not positively impacted by flexible working. Those with neurodiversity, for example, flexible working is, is not the answer for them. They want to work when and where it suits them. And the same with carers, for example, those caring for um, elderly relatives or those with disabilities, also those with physical disabilities. This isn't just about working from home on a Friday or coming in an hour late or leaving an hour early. We're at a tipping point in the progress of the digital age where we can now choose when and where we work with true autonomy. And what that does is it creates a level playing field for those excluded groups in a way that hasn't been possible previously. And so for us, this isn't an extension of flexible working because ultimately what that does is just flexes around the industrial age thinking 200 year old nine to five day. This is something truly different and it's about 
autonomy. I mean, I, so, I say this as a with heavy irony as a lawyer, but I think anything that can be reduced to a policy def, definitely is a red flag in terms of meaningful cultural and organisational change. Yeah, in organisations as well, where you have flexible workers and non-flexible workers, you effectively create a cultural division between those who do and those who don't work a certain way. So we talk about this a little bit in the book about how you create in-group, out-group dynamics. You effectively create two camps, which which isn't good for cultural unity and is another reason why having a word like work style can bring in equity to, to an organisation's culture, whereby everybody has the same opportunity to choose for themselves when and where they work. So that's something to look out for within an organisation as well, beyond the sort of broader systemic point. I have personal experience from that. You know, working in an organisation when I work three days a week, I always felt like I missed the most fun stuff, the Eurovision sweepstake or the foosball final or whatever it was. And I didn't miss all the important stuff. It just felt like I did. So this isn't necessarily about purposeful in-group out-group dynamics. It's not about maliciousness. It's just a fact of life that in-group out-group dynamics are created by treating a minority differently from the majority. Whereas we're talking about changing the way we work for everyone so that nobody's in that minority. I was in a conversation earlier in the week about returning to the office, which is a hot topic in professional services. The, The conversation was about whether there was a sense of kind of FOMO that would draw people back into the office. I say that as a negative, but it's interesting. I mean, I am seeing that. I mean, I'm not justifying that, but I'm definitely seeing that 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 dynamic of feeling excluded Mm. rather than being included is is a different kind of thing. Mm. I think that's very relevant. And we actually think that hybrid working is the new flexible working in that it's still setting a structure. It's still not giving people the autonomy to choose. And it still creates in-group, out-group dynamics because people who can't fit with the formalised structure that may be set by hybrid working, you know, be that, be in the office on a Tuesday and a Thursday or work from home on a Friday, they feel excluded. And one of the things we early on said about Hoxby was we are only ever going to be fully remote and Slack is our office because then everyone can access it on their terms and at a time that suits them. And for us, the combination of technology that we have is really important because that's what defines us. It's both efficient and effective in terms of how we work, but it's also our culture. And it means that our culture has to live in that platform because there is no office to have informal conversations that otherwise people could be excluded from. There's a point that I'd like to draw out on there that from what Lizzie said as well, which is around autonomy. So if you're mandating that people need to work uh, certain hours from a certain place, whether that's flexible, hybrid or traditional nine to five, it's not autonomy because the individual doesn't have that freedom to decide it for themselves. Work style enables autonomy. And the research that we've conducted within Hoxby over the last four years proves that autonomy is better for productivity. So autonomy increases productivity. There's lots of research that substantiates that. But what we also found was that it is because it increases well-being that it improves productivity as well. And this is something that we cover in the book in in some detail, um, the the findings from Hoxby. But for as long as you're not enabling that autonomy, you're not getting the benefits of well-being and therefore the impact of increased productivity that you might. 
It's really interesting because certainly the narrative during lockdown induced working from home was that there was, yes, there was a productivity bounce, but it was a productivity bounce that came from not being distracted by the ills of the office. And I actually think what we're what we're seeing now in the return to work environment is is exactly your point, which is the the autonomous decision making creates a freedom that has a positive impact on productivity and sustainable productivity. So it isn't it yeah. isn't just a case of yeah. I've got an extra three hours back in a day because I don't have to commute. It's it's actually I, I I want to work in a way that I didn't when I was when I was in an office or when I was required. Or to your point about flexibility, when the only flexibility I had was to flex around a norm, there was a defined norm. I think there's no question as well that in the pandemic, whilst productivity gains were made, well-being did not (laughs) correlate with that. You know, again, we reference in the book how the experiment of working from home during the pandemic is not at all comparable to work style because none of us were autonomous. You know, we weren't allowed to leave the house. No one was um, for periods of time. So it isn't just about working from home. This is about choosing when and where you work. And for some people, that's working in a co-working space surrounded by other people, you know, because that's where they get energy from. And even individual people might choose different places to work for different types of work in order to be at their most productive. And that's where I think you really realise the well-being gains and the productivity gains whereas the pandemic I know from homeschooling kids at the same time as working from home it was a grand experiment but that particular experiment was not one that we would obviously want to replicate. I guess the positives that have come from from the pandemic experience is that we've we've perhaps experimented on a mass scale about working asynchronously and as you pointed out the technology has been yeah I think the technology was available but the technology has been tested and trusted um, in a way that it wasn't previously. Yeah, and the technology benefited from an acceleration during that time as well, during the pandemic, you know, the increased numbers of people using the platforms and therefore the increased revenues to to go into developing it and accelerating it has been phenomenal. And one of the silver linings, no doubt. We think of the pandemic as a catalyst, really, a moment in history that enabled people to see, you know, en masse a new potential not necessarily to believe that it is the right thing right here, right now. There are lots of questions, but it's opened more eyes to what might be possible in the future than we would have otherwise been able to, or certainly would have taken us probably another 10 years to get to that through the work style revolution and other means. It seems to me that the the missed opportunity that we're living at the moment is, and then perhaps this is where work style is differentiated much more clearly from hybrid working, is that we're trying to we're trying to encourage people and organisations to adopt approaches and policies forever. Let's mm. commit to I'm going to be in the office these days a week, or let's have a organisational policy that requires yeah. attendance in you know, anchor mm. days for particular teams rather than encourages them. And and for me, that's a missed opportunity that the work style gets around because essentially it's a dynamic thing. I mean, you you might want to your yeah. work style can change from yeah. day to day, week to week, and you have that autonomy to do that. And our lives do change. All of our lives change. You know, I I know that personally. I co-founded Hoxby with Alex because of having young children and wanted to work flexibly around them. Then I was diagnosed with breast cancer and needed to work differently to accommodate that. And now there's some illness in my close family. And so I have some caring responsibilities and need to work around that, you know. And even if you have none of those elements we're all getting older so aging will ultimately affect everyone so for us i think it is the the recognition that 
not only does life always change, but there's also an intersectionality between those different aspects of our lives. I didn't stop being a parent when I was also being treated for an illness. I just needed to accommodate parenting and illness. And so I think it's recognition that we are all multifaceted. We all have different daily challenges in our lives and that work should fit around them rather than them having to fit around work. Yeah, and, and, and the constant in that, in that environment is your commitment and your energy for the business that you're doing or the work that you're doing, not the routine or the behavior that you have around that. Well, and I agree with that. And I think that, that if it can be, if you can work in a work style way, then it's a self-fulfilling prophecy because it helps you maintain your commitment and energy for it, Mm. which I think for me was really valuable. Not only did I have the opportunity to work in a way that suited me, but I also had the pleasure of escaping into work at a time that mentally was the best fit for me. So, yeah, I mean, it's an incredible way to work. What can I say? Um, Like you, you talked about it, Matt, about the adoption of asynchronous working practices during the pandemic. You know, that is one element of this. But one of the big challenges for people in the workplace, I think, as autonomy becomes more and more the the norm or the expected way of working is knowing how to do that and do it well you know we're, we're all conditioned to do a do a job um under traditional employment terms uh, so learning how to be an autonomous worker is uh you know a skill that we're going to have to learn people are going to have to learn and we hope that work style the book gives people the tools they need right now but we're at the start of this learning journey as well you know we've been doing synchronous work for hundreds of years and we've become really good at it and really conditioned by it uh, but we have an opportunity to do something different now work in a different way that can perhaps improve our well-being and our productivity be more inclusive and create more diverse organizations that are collectively more intelligent and may be able to solve problems better than organizations of the past with their traditional hierarchies. There's lots of potential, but also lots to learn and, and lots to, to evolve along the way before we can get there. So the, the book is um, is definitely the deep dive on in terms of the answer to the, the question I'm about to ask, but how do you do culture, organizational culture? How do you do organizational philosophy at scale? Which I, you know, which I think Workstyle is part of, but you founded and are running an, an enormous organization and you've managed to to maintain that that culture and philosophy and, 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 and commitment to work style throughout. How do you do that at a practical level? One of the things is that early on, very early on, way post-pandemic, we, we learned three lessons in the Hoxby experiment. The first one was that work needed to be done asynchronously, not synchronously. And that was before those words were created. The second was that we all need to adopt a digital first mentality. And then the third thing is you need to have a trust-based culture to underpin working this way. For us, getting the right technology to underpin those three things, but then making sure that Alex and I embody and deliver against the areas of trust, that enables a very different way of working. I know that you've talked on the podcast before, I was listening to an episode where you talked about trust and reciprocity. And reciprocity is something that Alex has talked about since day one. This is a give-get model. We all gain if we can make this work. And so I think for us, culturally, we have just tried to make sure that we always go back to that vision. And we always remember Mm. those three lessons in in how we operate day to day. Purpose and that vision is 
key. And in many ways, we were lucky to start a business knowing what we knew in 2014 about the importance of purpose and having it ingrained in the decision making from day one uh, enabled us to build a really authentic uh, space for everybody who was who's been a part of Hoxby. You know, our, our purpose hasn't changed. Everything we stand for has has remained the same and has informed all of the decision making that Busy and I have made. So, in terms of being able to be trusted ourselves, that's been absolutely key to building a, a community that does w- what it's setting out to do and makes decisions that is always in the pursuit of that purpose and always has been and it's helped us to I think be authentic ourselves we're founders and that the purpose of the business is close to our heart personally so that's been I think also very important we've we've been able to personally understand the purpose of the Hoxby as a business and make sure that the decisions we make are decisions that Hoxby's would want us to make and uh, with a with a shared understanding of its importance so so purpose is the thread that runs runs through everything you 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 live in slack slack is your office the big question for me is are are the wheels of Hoxby still oiled by emojis Very much so. Yes, they are. And you've you've had the, you've read the book, so you've seen that we can't even write a book without finding a way to weave word mojis throughout it. But I, I do think that's important. It's about expressing yourself without needing to use the written word, finding a way to be able to express yourself and to be empowered to present how you choose as well in a digital environment, which is really important. And for Alex and I, one of the consulting services that we offer is around virtual leadership, which obviously people are a lot more interested in since the pandemic. That's another area where basically we've been experimenting since we started in in what is virtual leadership. And it is about having the right authenticity and about being transparent with people because you don't get the casual pickup stuff you get if you're in an office. You need to choose to say things. You need to be explicit about what your values are and be really clear in how you communicate. But also you need to find other ways to bring your personality to things and emojis is part of that. I mean, it may not surprise you to know, Matt, that we have emojis for our values. What we always found with values within an organisation is that they tended to be a single word that had some sort of extrapolated meaning, but those words tended to be sort of put up on the walls around the office environment. What we wanted to do was try and build our values into our culture day to day. So we have them as emojis that people use to sort of acknowledge that the value is being displayed, but also to talk about them in a in a fun and digital first way that, that Hoxby Hoxby's do and uh, it's it's actually been a really great way to bring values more into the day-to-day that's which is something that we struggled with and as you probably know Matt you know one of the things founding beliefs of Hoxby for Alex and I is that work should be fun and so we a, a positive thing you know and as you'll also know organizations and particularly for entrepreneurs go through highs and lows but but the constant for Alex and I is that we make it fun. It's got to be fun because then you do your best work and you enjoy it while you're doing it. So absolutely. Well, picture speaks a thousand words. So uh, <laughs> exactly. although my, my experience yeah. of emojis in, 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 is that they're often used to express negative feelings as well. So we maybe have to uh, rethink how we use emojis in the workplace. But you also want to know how people are feeling. I think the other thing that we've Definitely. done to maintain culture and to keep our essence as we've scaled is one of our values is always improving. And we've had over a thousand always improving suggestions from Hoxby's, anyone and everyone 
can and should make suggestions. We, in fact, insist that everyone makes at least one suggestion a year. Um, some people make many, many more than that. And it means that we are continuously improving because we're hearing from all perspectives as to how we could be better, which for us mm. is, is really important. You know, you have to have, there's a place for positivity, but there's also a place for listening to feedback. We say we've had a thousand suggestions for how we could improve. And we always say it in a really positive way, not the fact that actually there's a thousand, more than a thousand things that are wrong. With this. But the reason it's positive is because it actually serves as our innovation pipeline from within the business. People are telling us how we could do things better, as well as probably occasionally venting about where things are are wrong and uh, need to change. It's an interesting way of thinking about innovation, having this kind of constant feed of suggested improvements, ways to do, ways to do things better. And we found that that's helped us to stay agile and constantly look to improve different aspects of the business. Well, look, I think it's a, I think it's a, a really fantastic measure of engagement. If people are engaged enough to want to improve the organisation and give some feedback, that's great. It's when you hear nothing and they leave that um, you start worrying. I just want to pick up, Lizzie, on what you said about consulting, because you reminded me that Poxby did a fantastic series of, I'm going to date myself now, webinars at the beginning of the pandemic, I think it was the beginning of the pandemic, about exactly these issues. And, and I, I thought it was a fantastic series. And I wonder whether that had sort of spawned new business ideas for you and consulting activity and, and, and how people were, were taking up that kind of support. Definitely. So we originally were a creative communications and marketing business predominantly in terms of the work that we delivered and we still do do a lot of that work certainly so you're right at the start of the pandemic we decided to basically open source the way we do everything so we wanted to share we realized that we knew how to do this and other organizations didn't and for well-being we wanted to share that with everyone so we ran a campaign called remote against coronavirus where we basically tried to just share everything that we did and we had loads and loads of interest in it and things that we thought weren't that significant like emojis became significant in those conversations and so from there um we are now growing our future proofing and hr arms of our business which future proofing is really at a kind of c-suite level looking at organizational design and how purpose culture and structure can play really important roles within that and then at an hr level more about diversity and inclusion and implementing work style we have found of course more people are interested in that area but i think it's also created a shift in the way that we present hoxby i think we used to take an attitude of we will produce the best creative campaign or the best pr across europe for you don't worry about how we do it because the work we produce is great whereas i think increasingly we've moved towards more of an impact focus so the work that we do is valuable, but also has a positive impact on the world. But also the way we deliver it is different. And we're really open about that now. And I think the pandemic has given us the confidence to be open about it because we knew there were so many people that we needed to kind of engage behind it before. And some of them would be naysayers, whereas certainly the pandemic has opened people's minds to the fact that we need to be considering working in different ways. Right. And if, and if, if listeners are interested in, in how to access those services, presumably that's through, have, have a look at the website, have a look at hoxby.com. So you've written a book that is no light undertaking, particularly given everything you've had going on in your lives and in your business. How was that process for you? What have, what have you learned from that? Challenging. And as yet, not particularly rewarding because we haven't sold any copies. Not available until the 13th of October. Um, so... It is a, a process. I'm 
grateful to have been able to do it with Lizzie because it requires the full extraction of everything you know onto a number of pages in a document, which we did. But then we had to sort it out, agree it, debate it, hone it, and then structure it into something coherent and then turn it into something that people might want to read. And that's a really challenging process, difficult. It requires a lot of brain strength. When you've got that basic structure and then you're looking at tone, which was one of the key pieces of feedback that our publisher gave us, which was focus on your tone of voice, then it becomes more enjoyable. Then it becomes a bit more fun. You start to talk uh, like a human and uh, have fun with it. And that's that's the part of the process that's that's actually really enjoyable and that you know, we think turns it from something that's you know, robust in its in its research and in its thinking and the science, but is also you know, an enjoyable read. I've read so many business books that come out of academic research that I'm much happier reading a book that comes out of a, a case study from the real business world. My feedback would be that it's it's a hugely accessible book. I think that's really, really important. That process must have unearthed something that, that you hadn't realised or you thought differently about after you've written about it rather than you experienced it. I'm just wondering if there's any any things like that, that that came out of the process. I think what was interesting was was that the reason we wrote the book was post-pandemic, the number of people asking us, or during the pandemic, the number of people asking us how we run Hoxby and wanting a level of detail that between us, we just couldn't talk to all the people who wanted to know it. So we thought, let's put it in a book and share it with the world and hope it has a positive impact in in some way. People say, oh, how how did you split it? Did you write a chapter each? We wrote every word of this book together, every word. And that you know, that came with some pain because it took a lot of time. But that also meant that there was a lot of joy and laughter in it, which you can probably tell as you go through the book, because there are various jokes within it as well. We don't take ourselves too seriously. But also it meant it was a true period of reflection on everything we've learned and everything we've done over the last eight years. And there's something really cathartic about that. At the beginning of the conversation, we talked about experimentation. Experimenting is amazing. You know, you learn loads, you can try new stuff. It feels like you can change the world like that. But I think sometimes pausing for a period of reflection and being able to talk through what we've actually learned and codify it in a replicable way can be really cathartic and, and powerful. And certainly I think that's how it felt for us. There's also a lot that we just innately knew or, or had felt or experienced through through Workstyle and doing it for a number of years, but that we wanted to substantiate through research in the preparation mm. of the book. So we researched a lot of stuff to evidence what we'd experienced firsthand. And that was enlightening. We learned loads uh, about all sorts of things that we didn't know before, but we just intuitively felt were were probably right. So that learning journey was, was incredible. And that has helped us to better understand why work style works uh, and how it can be applied to to other businesses uh, and how it can help with diversity but also the integration of diverse people that is very often the struggle that that, uh, companies face so yeah it's been uh, an education in in lots of ways (laughs) i must say almost the perfect time to, to capture all of that that learning and find a way to express it. My secret is that I also wrote a book during the pandemic, which which will probably, (gasps) probably see the light of day next year. But I asked those questions that I asked you because 
I realized through the writing process that I, I hadn't realized how strongly I felt about some things until I tried to express them on paper. Maybe cathartic is the word, but it's, it, it's, it was almost like a, a journaling exercise yeah. at, at a huge scale. And, and it gives you that opportunity to, re, to reflect. And I, I've, mm. I've come away thinking that, you know, actually we should do more writing and journaling about our experience in organizations if we're interested i said writing a book but but just get things down on paper and reflect on them and go back to them that's so true and certainly there were the the thing that as alex says our editor really helped us with was writing in our own tone being confident with you know it turns out we're quite we think we're quite funny but lots of people don't but we're quite different and we don't take ourselves too seriously and he really gave us a confidence to write in our own tone but also there are some elements of work style the book that are quite controversial the the dismantling of flexible working for example that is controversial and we had a lot of reflection about whether actually we limit progress in the world by dismantling it but what we came back to is that's a really important thing to do in constructing the case for work style so i think we were the same It, it made us realize that there are some things we feel really strongly about that maybe we have a different perspective or are a bit controversial on, but that it was important that this book was something that was right for us. And I think certainly for me, having had cancer, this book is in part to put out in the world our truth. And so we haven't worried too much about readers, no offence to our readers, but we've just tried to make sure that it's true to us. And then now we eagerly await reaction to that. Launch October. October the 13th. We are currently working out how we can distribute copies of your book to future members of the Zebra Project, and I think that so definitely uh, we'll definitely be reaching our community um, through the through the publication of the book. So that's that's really really exciting um, for for us. I mean, essentially, we've been talking about progressive organisations, and I think you know you you started this or your thinking was probably more than eight years ago, but this you know it was particularly progressive at that time. I mean, sitting where we are today, looking forward in a sort of weird dystopia that the modern world seems to be what you know how would you characterize the 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 challenges facing progressive organizations over the coming decade what are the things that we really need to get our head around autonomy is probably the the big one uh in that all of the research proves that autonomy increases productivity we found that that's true and through our own research it improves well-being. So if it's better for people and it's better for business and it's better for society, it feels like an inevitable part of our working future. But with it comes great deal of learning for both organisations and people. It's systems like WorkStyle that enable it to happen. But the benefit of that for inclusivity and inclusion of diverse minds and the the potential for organisations to benefit from that increased diversity is exciting. There's a there's an exciting potential, realistically, you know, a journey to to get there that I think everybody's going to be on. The big risk that we feel acutely at the moment is the post-pandemic. We're in that that period of change. Organisations can either change for the better or they can go back to the way they, they worked before. And hybrid is really just the way they worked before, a slightly different name. And so for us, our fear, our big fear is that this is a time when significant innovation and change could take place and that organisations don't capitalise on that. Could talk for hours about this. But I, I was having a conversation yesterday with somebody who was talking about the need for a new enlightenment, in, in certainly in the working world. And you know, if you look at, the the amount of profound change that's going on around us 
societally, um, you know, war in Europe, end of decades of economic growth, you know, the passing of Queen Elizabeth II. You know, we, we are in a period of profound change. And I think there is, you know, there is a, there's an exciting opportunity that that willingness, that muscle that we've developed to deal with change is interpreted positively rather than with fear and actually we can we can we can do something really meaningful now because it's kind of all bets are off absolutely and and people have a voice and an opportunity to make that change happen them themselves and you know to create the future that they want and i think that's the thing that will ultimately force change is the will of the people to to do things differently so that probably leads me really nicely to my final question which is in all of this exciting journey you've been on would you do anything differently no i don't, I don't think, think so, so because i think you're you're in it for the journey aren't you you know the highs are high the lows are low but you know i i i would say that alex and i feel very lucky to have done it together i honestly don't know how people write a book or start a very different business model by themselves but i think everything we've done we've learned from and and the book helped us to understand how even some of the more challenging experiences we learned from them and and we put that back into the business and we changed the way that we work and and now helping others to implement work style or move towards the work style end of the spectrum or run pilots that's so gratifying it makes it feel like we've learned from the things that we did we did wrong along the way so now i wouldn't do anything differently alex i wouldn't but hindsight's a wonderful thing isn't it i mean <laughs> If we <laughs> if we knew that we were going to have a pandemic, I think, you know, we probably would have got the book out earlier. Our vision was to try and change change the world through work style. You know, the pandemic did a lot of that for us in terms of opening people's eyes. It would have been nice to get ahead of that. But, you know, as Lizzie says, the journey's been awesome and we can have no regrets. I'm sure the book's going to be a huge success. Uh, I don't think any of the challenges that we had three years ago, two years ago, um, are going away. And um, I think it's great that your answer is generally that you wouldn't do anything differently. The, obviously, my the, the list of the podcast listeners can't see this, but I've basically spent 40, 47 and a half minutes staring at Alex and Lizzie smiling, <laughs> these beaming smiles. So you're, you're still clearly enjoying um, what you do. So... Uh, Thank you for your time today. It's been great, great to catch up again. Um, wish you huge success with the book Work Style, and um, I should be keeping my eye on Hoxby.com to see how things uh, evolve and develop. Thank you.